Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of being sons and daughters of the King. You are our creator, and Lord, that thought just humbles us. We pray that we would surrender and submit our thoughts, our opinions, our preferences to your will. We pray that we would have ears to hear your voice in this area of media so that you can speak into our lives, convict us, and lead us along your path, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the Media on the Brain seminar. My name is Scott Ritzema. As you can see on the graphic, we're looking at a topic that is quite vast. Everything from TV and movies to video gaming, spectator sports, advertising, social networking, texting, even pornography, the music industry, Madison Avenue, you name it. It's the new reality in the 21st century, media and entertainment. So we have to ask ourselves some tough questions. What does the latest scientific information say about the mind-altering effects of these media? And what is the spiritual agenda in the entertainment industry and the advertising industry? We're going to cover all of that in just bits and pieces this evening. This is an abbreviated format of the full seven-plus-hour seminar. We're going to hit some of the highlights this evening. But before we get any further, I should mention this is an image of my, my family. I'm a teacher, and uh, my story, I guess, is... is very media heavy. When I was a young person, I grew up in a family where we had a lot of media. I watched TV, played video games most of my childhood. And, and really, that isn't all that abnormal in America today. But something unique is this, this has been in my DNA, in my blood. If you look back in generations past, my grandfather was actually in the 1950s one of the pioneers of bringing television to the masses in America. He was a salesman bringing Zenith televisions to us. Uh, as I progressed on into high school, I got involved. In, in a pop punk band, me and my friends, uh, every manner of, of, of immorality in that area. And then in college, it was, it was all about music to me. Download that latest song off of Napster back when it was free and get the, get the newest band, the latest songs from that band, bootlegged, or, or I got to get the new speakers for my car, just always upping the ante in this, in this trap, this media trap. On into the 2000s, my wife and I, we didn't find much else other than going to a movie or renting a movie as, as dates for our for our marriage. And so media has been a big part of my life. And I confess, I am a recovering media addict. The Lord has pulled me out of a lot of that media and entertainment world. But I found a more balanced way to interact with media in our, in our generation. And we want to talk about that a little bit today. But first, I want to ask, is it possible that media is the greatest stumbling block, spiritually speaking, in America today? I believe it is. It certainly was for me. And as I've traveled around doing this seminar, the Media on the Brain seminar, at churches, at schools, for parent meetings, teacher conventions, family camps, you name it, the, the, what, what, what has spoken to me strongly is the families and the stories of individuals, of children, of adults, people who are just can't stop doing the things that they are doing in the area of media. It's an addiction. But it's not just anecdotally speaking, and it's not just from my experience. Take a look at George Barna. He is obviously the most widely known and respected name in polling and in the church today. Had a chance to meet George Barna, actually, and share our material with him. But here's what he said to me. He said, Scott, 
Media exposure has become America's most widespread and serious addiction. You can Google that. He's on record with that as well. But I asked him, George, Dr. Barna, how can you say such a thing? Addiction? He said, well, what we did was we took the seven-question survey of the American Psychiatric Association that's used by psychiatrists to diagnose an addiction. And we just did polling with those questions. And the majority of Americans qualified as having having an addiction to media. More Americans are addicted to media than any other thing. Powerful, powerful evidence and, and, and facts. This is data. It's not George Barna just spewing some rhetoric. He says what our research has found is that this is the most serious. If we look at the entertainment numbers, the average child aged 2 to 5 is consuming 32 hours of TV a week. The average kid aged 8 to 18 is spending 5 hours per day on TV. The, and then when you look at video gaming, this is where it gets really serious. There are 19 million According to the American Medical Association, video game addicts. That means they are actually addicted. We're talking the, the latest version of the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, the DSM-5, which was just published just a couple of months ago in 2013. The latest edition of the Psychology Bible, as they call it, lists video gaming finally as an addiction. And the American Medical Association says there are 19 million addicted. Do you know how many alcoholics there are in America? Oh, only 12 million. Now, we make a big deal because 12 million people addicted to alcohol is kind of a big deal. But gaming is an even bigger problem and addiction in America. Back to our statistics. There are 5 million gamers that are playing over 40 hours per week. And the average child is spending 10,000 hours behind a video game console or computer by the age of 21. Moving beyond gaming, if we look at music, we're looking at two and a half hours of music for the average kid on top of all these things, and the average teen is texting over 3,300 texts per month. Last of all, if you look at the average college-age boy, we're looking at eight hours per week on average viewing televised spectator sports. Now, I don't think all college-aged young men are viewing it. Maybe half of them are viewing the sports on TV. And so the average spectator sports viewing college student is then viewing 16 hours per week. On top of all of these other things, this is, these are serious and sobering numbers. In fact, the average screen time for the American child today is 8 hours a day. So if you think about sleep for 8 hours, go to school or work for 8 hours, and screens for eight hours. There's your 24-hour time period. Is this is this living? Is this the abundant life Jesus came to give to us? I don't believe it is. By the way, as you look at these statistics, I want to give you two rules of thumb. One, in this abbreviated presentation, if I mention something, you can bank on the fact that in the full six-DVD seminar that there's more information on that one topic that I'm mentioning briefly in passing. Another rule of thumb is I always find 100% of the time that I've done further digging into things, I've found that I, that I actually had understated the case. So if you think, oh, he's exaggerating, he's making big, big deal out of things. No, I always am understating the case. It's always worse than what I say, unfortunately. That's what I found again and again. And this is why my wife and I, this media madness is the reason my wife and I founded Belt of Truth Ministries. And we began with the Media on the Brain seminar because this is 
is the greatest stumbling block to us. But I want to go beyond media. I want to actually talk about child rearing and, and principles for raising our children a more healthy and productive way other than having the television raise the children. So we're, we worked on a seminar called Raising the Remnant, also utilizing some of George Barna's research. Interestingly, Barna went out in search of all of the spiritually strong young adults in America, the, not the typical churchgoers, but the people who are really living their faith. He asked them how they were raised, did surveys and interviews. Then he talked to their parents, got the same story from both, and he has painted a portrait of what successful Christian parenting looks like. We report on that in this DVD, Raising the Remnant. But also what we do is we go back and look at traditional 19th century parenting advice, and we find out, wow, we knew this all along. All the principles for successful Christian parenting have been in our hands from the Bible and from traditional writers from the times past that we've seemed to lost the wisdom we have lost the wisdom from those times here of course is the dvd set i'd be very uh, irresponsible to not mention to you how you can get the rest of the information we're only covering just a little over an hour today just bits and pieces of the full six dvd seminar media on the brain and, and the, the disc titles go as follows in disc one you'll find it's conformed or transformed tv the brain and the science of salvation we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening disc disc two by beholding we become slaves to the high priests of a new religious order we'll also talk a little bit about that this evening discs three and four are on music we're, we're only just barely mentioning those the topic is just so big takes such amount of time to really develop it that i'm leaving that aside you can view it on the dvds but disc three is the spirit of the music industry how one man transformed american culture quite a story quite a history take a look at that one disc four musical manipulation how Satan will use music to deceive the last day masses. This one is extremely important. It just takes too long to explain it. Disc 5, the counterfeit reality, high-tech addictions, gaming, and pornography. We're going to cover some of that this evening. And disc 6, the pleasure trap, why we're bored by the Bible and have no time to read it. We'll also cover a bit of that this evening. So shall we begin? I don't know if you know this, but the American... Academy of Pediatrics have, has come out with a, what I think is actually quite a mild recommendation, but do you know how much television they recommend for, the, for two years old and younger? It's actually zero hours of television. They say, don't show your children television under the age of two. Why would they make such a statement? That's kind of controversial, actually, to say, no, no, no Sesame Street, no Baby Einstein, none of that. France goes even further. The government of France actually banned, they outlawed, the, the, the airing of entertainment that is aimed at television that is aimed at children three and un, under. It's illegal in that country to air on the public airwaves television that is aimed at children three years old and un, under. So why take these, state, these stands like this? I want you to understand the brain a little bit. Let's do a little 101 on the brain, the frontal lobe, very important area of the brain. This is where we experience spirituality, morality, and the will, reason and conscience, judgment and decision-making, prayer and worship, discerning spiritual truth. All these things take place in this very important area of the brain, but not just that, also Empathy, being, having compassion for others, an altruistic love of others and get, putting their needs above your own. Now, you know, based on that list, this is a super important area of the brain to have strong, healthy, functioning. Well, the Bible actually told us about the frontal lobe long ago. Isaiah tells us, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. The fruit of the spirit is self-control and love your neighbor 
as yourself. All of these are frontal lobe activities, altruism, self-control, reason. They were all there in the Bible all along. Now, there's another area of the brain that's not talked about as much as the frontal lobe that I want to mention just briefly, and that's called the limbic system. It's often the, the competitor of the frontal lobe. It's, off, it's often the, the opponent of the frontal lobe. The limbic system is known as the lizard brain by evolutionary psychologists. Now, I don't believe that we evolved from lizards, but I do believe, and, and the science shows, that these are where our more animalistic tendencies, our more base passions are rooted out of that limbic system in the, in the lower midbrain. The fight-or-flight mechanism, in other words, fear or aggression, those are limbic system impulses. The appetite for food or for sex, so you've got your lust there, your desire for fleshly things, that's also coming out of the limbic system circuits. How about this list? Fear, stress, lust, impulses, worry, anxiety, anger, irritability, negativity, and aggression. Now, I don't know a lot of people that want all of those things in control in their lives. I don't know a lot of people that say, yes, I want that limbic system strong and, and governing and dominating my psyche and my, my choices and thoughts. Not at all. We want this thing tamed. Now, by the way, the limbic system is part of the brain. God gave us a limbic system. We're supposed to, Eve was supposed to have a fear impulse when she walked over to that tree, right? But then you elevate that fear, that limbic system impulse to the higher reasoning powers of the frontal lobe and you evaluate it. You have, have sound judgment and self-control. So here she's using her frontal lobe. But the limbic system was sort of that red flag that alerted her to it. So don't think that I'm saying the limbic system is bad. But these things must be in their proper balance. The Bible also talked about the limbic system. Their God is their stomach, says Philippians 3.19. The desires of the flesh are the sinful nature, Paul, ta- Paul refers to. This is coming out of the limbic system again. To be carnally minded is death. The carnal mind is enmity against God. There's that carnal nature, that fleshly nature that we're talking about. Now you might say, what does this have to do with television? What does this have to do with media, video gaming, etc.? I want you to imagine like you have a switch on the front of your brain, on your forehead. And you sit down to view theatrical style entertainment television. And I said it that way on purpose. Not a documentary, not a DVD on media, not a sermon. Theatrical style entertainment television does this. Literally just turns off your frontal lobe. It's totally subdued while you're watching this entertainment. Now, I I should illustrate this because this this was a big thing for my wife and I when we were watching... TV and we were we were we were living worldly. What what we would do is she would she would sit here like this, especially during the ads, and she'd get this kind of look on her face, right? You know what I'm talking about. What's happening in the brain there actually is because of the the rapid frame of reference change in the style of of, of advertising and theatrical style entertainment. It's lulling the brain into what's called an alpha pattern. This is a brainwave frequency that's slower. Basically, I get into all of that in the seminar in great detail. But for now, just know that this is sort of a uh, highly suggestible state. It's it's a, it's a hypnotic state actually. Now, when you're listening to me right now and you're thinking about what I'm saying, you're in a higher frequency brainwave called beta. This is the critical thinking. Moral filter is up. But when you're down in this alpha trance, that moral filter comes down and you're just kind of zoned out like this. And, and now you might think, well, what, it, what does he mean, rapid frame, frame of reference? Imagine the show. The guy gets out of the car, right? The show is going. And then there's a camera that shows him close the door. Then there's a camera that shows him walk up to the door. Then a different frame shows, shows the, the hand knocking on the door. Then one camera angle shows the guy coming to the door. Then the dialogue begins. Very rapid dialogue. Two seconds, three seconds. 
The average frame of reference change in theatrical style entertainment takes place every three seconds. So it's jarring the brain and lulling the brain into this unnatural thing. Now, in a, in a, in a multi-camera shoot like this, you'll see the frame of reference change. You'll see the slide come up, but it's not as rapid. When you're watching a documentary, there's a guy talking, and it actually takes him 12 seconds to get a thought out. Not You can't express an idea in less than three seconds. So they hold the, the whole image on, on the guy they're interviewing, for example. So it's only this style entertainment, but this is what's happening. And actually, Dr. Akio Mori at Nihon University in Japan studied the same thing when they're playing video games. He, he hooked up a monitor, looked at brainwave activity, and it was the same thing, but even stronger with video games, lulling down into this sort of alpha trance. Now, I should mention, I, I use the word hypnotic. All of this entertainment is, it has this hypnotic effect, but there's a hypnotist out there named Mark J. Ryan. I cover him in the, in the seminar. There's a whole video interview of him where he's talking about how the movies, Hollywood is actually going beyond the simple rapid frame of reference change thing, and they're deliberately entering into the subconscious of the masses through the films that they're making. And it, it almost sounds crazy coming out of my mouth. Like, I, I don't want to say it, but it's just reality. It's, 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 he had, he, he's an expert in his field. He knows what's happening in Hollywood, and he does a tell-all on one film, and then he says, all Hollywood studios are using these methods. You've got to see the clip, but we don't have time to cover it tonight. But just as when my wife and I were sitting here doing this, she'd be, like I said, totally zoned out like this, right? And I knew at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't following the Lord's convictions to move away from this entertainment, but I knew what was happening to the mind. And, and so I'd look away from the screen during the commercials. I knew that they were manipulating me. And I'd say, hey, honey, what do you want to have for supper? And one time, literally, I, I asked her a question while the commercials were running. She was in this, this uh, hypnotic, highly suggestible state. And this was her answer. She didn't even hear me. Nobody's home there. At the commercial ended, she goes, did you say something a minute ago? But this is what's happening in the brain. Literally, the frontal lobe is turned off. But at the same time, the frontal lobe obviously almost completely shuts down, as we said. But theatrical-style entertainment television is also designed to produce a limbic impulse of some kind. If you think about the different kinds of entertainment that are out there, they're designed to get you to, to feel angry or fearful or aggression or maybe lust or, or sadness or just general amusement where you're not supposed to think about it, I've been told. You're supposed to turn your frontal lobe off, let the filmmaker lead you into this limbic experience of feeling and that's how it's designed to be. Even, even harmless cartoons, just amusement, just silly, right? But it has neurological consequences. If you think about this, You've got your frontal lobe and your limbic system, right? Imagine that I've got a weight system, and I get up every morning, and I, and I, I, I lift weights with, with one arm like this over and over and over and over again, and I leave the other arm in a sling day in and day out. What's going to happen? One arm is going to get very strong and the other emaciated and weak. This is what happens in our brains. They're finding, actually, that people that are raised with television have overactive limbic systems, underactive frontal lobes, exactly the same as children who grew up in abusive households. This is a brain-damaging thing, and it's a form of abuse. That's why France has said it's illegal. You can't air this stuff to children aimed at under three because their, their, their brains are especially vulnerable to this kind of thing. But if it can affect the three-year-old brain, by the way, it can affect the adult brain because the latest research on the brain has discovered the immense plasticity of the brain. It's changeable. It's malleable. Hours and hours of television is literally child abuse, powerful information. And gaming is the same thing. With video gaming, they just did a study 
where they looked at the brains uh, under a scan while doing various activities, the brains of some young people, and then they had them play video games for one week. Only 10 hours. That's a little over an hour a day. So only 10 hours for a week, not 40 hours a week, only 10. And they found at the end of the week that those, those, their, their brains operated differently now. After only one week, they had lower prefrontal cortex function. That's the most important area of the frontal lobe. It was already weakened and damaged by just playing video games for a week. You know, the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to heal our minds. He wants to transform us to be like Him. But we're doing the opposite in our culture today. We are conforming ourselves to the way the world does it. And there are consequences for mind and character. Because what's happening up here, my thoughts and my feelings, form my moral character. Well, this I haven't even said anything about the moral content of the programming, have I? When, when you think about the hundreds of thousands of acts of violence and sexual things that we're subjecting ourselves to, it takes it to a whole new level of scary. And we get all that into all that in the full seminar. But right now, I just want to give you an anecdotal story. There was an Amish kid. Obviously, he didn't grow up with television. But he left the Amish community. He watched his first television show. It was a movie. It happened to be an old Western. And he sat down to watch the Western film. And somebody got shot in the film. When the, when the shooting happened, like they did in the old westerns, he, he turned white as a ghost. He ran out of the house and he threw up. And we think, well, that's a, that's a weird response to that. I mean, I watch that stuff and it doesn't affect me. No, no, no. He's not the weird one. We're the weird ones. Because we've become so desensitized to it. I wish I could talk more about that, but more on that in the full seminar. You see, when the brain sees these things, Steven Pinker, a psychologist, tells us that the visual system never learns that television is just a pane of glowing phosphor dots and that the person never loses the illusion that there is a world behind the pain. In other words, what you see with your eyes is reality to your brain. Your brain does, your visual system doesn't know how to discern between reality and fiction. So when we're viewing these things, it is like our reality to us. It's not just entertainment. Now, do you want some good news? How about some good news about the brain? Newberg and Waldman did a study where they had subjects of the study contemplate a God of love for 12 minutes a day, every day, for 30 days. At the end of the study, they found that the area of the frontal lobe associated with empathy and altruism grew measurably. So we know, we know that studying our Bibles is going to be beneficial to us, but now the science confirms it. You will be a more loving and compassionate person. The anterior cingulate cortex of the frontal lobe will grow measurably. And you'll become the more, more Christ-like the more you are thinking about God's character. By beholding, we become changed. And we're beholding the things of this world. I wonder what we're being changed into there. But there's a couple of books that have done a really good job collecting a lot of the studies that have been done. There have been thousands of studies done on the effects of television on, on, on various aspects of human society and physiology. Don't expect to hear these studies reported on TV, but they've done a good job in plug-in drug and remotely, remotely controlled collecting all these. And so I'll, I'm just going to list a few. First thing. Television viewing is a major cause of depression. All of these have studies backing them up. Decreases academic achievement. Inhibits speech development. Decreases reading comprehension. Increases the likelihood of children developing ADHD. 
decreases creativity and imagination. And that one's especially interesting to me because I had a well-meaning loved one share with my wife and I, and, and we're not mad at this person, but they said, you know, your little one Levi, he really should be watching some TV because if he doesn't, he won't develop creativity and an imagination. And I'm going, no, the studies show the opposite, that when you're in this passive mode, your brain is not active and imaginative and creative. It's going to actually numb those capabilities. TV viewing decreases the ability to succeed, causes vision problems, makes you less likely to exercise, causes emotional problems, including in some cases PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And in the 1980s, this is an interesting one, households that acquired cable TV earliest saw spikes in, in, in autism. So in the ongoing debate about what's causing autism, this could be a factor. Moving on. TV makes you eat more, makes you crave sugary foods, causes obesity, increases children's chances of becoming alcoholics later in life. And I wonder if this, this is because we're seeing so many alcohol commercials. Or actually, if you're not watching the commercials, they're still advertising to you constantly in the shows. It's called a product placement where the guy picks up his drink and drinks it and it tells you the brand of it right there. And you were just advertised to 316,000 plus times in 2009 alone just during prime time. There were alcohol product placement. Hundreds of thousands of times in one year alone just during prime time. Moving on with some other statistics. TV viewing makes you feel less, less in love with your partner. TV viewing makes women feel less deserving of being loved, makes families spend less time together, increases the divorce rate, increases negative moods, increases copycat suicides, lowers self-esteem and confidence, increases the desire for cosmetic surgical procedures. Even in the news, this is an interesting one, they did a study where they had people view 14 minutes of negative news per day. Just 14 minutes, negative news per day. It increased uh, anxiety, it increased stress hormones that impair your memory, it increased sad mood, it increased personal catastrophization like terrible things are happening in my life, worrisome thoughts and so on, all went up. Moving on with some more. TV viewing reduces athletic performance, actually increases Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Friedman was the one that discovered this and he said that the reason this is happening is because you're in this passive semi-conscious state while watching normal television programming and that's, the mind is not active, so it's not being exercised. So the more television you watch from age 20 to age 60, the greater likelihood for Alzheimer's disease. Continuing on, TV viewing stresses the body. TV viewing causes sleep deprivation. It has doubled the murder rate in Western societies. I got to pause on this one for just a second because you might say, what? How is that possible? Well, some researchers, Centerwall and his colleagues did a study where they, they noticed a spike in the murder rate in the United States and in Canada. Two different societies with very different gun control laws, demographic factors, socioeconomic factors, but they both, within 15 years of the entrance of television into society, they both experienced a doubling in the homicide rate. And this made them go, oh, what, 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 what possible correlating factors are there here that might cause this? And television was the only one they could find. So they looked at South Africa. South Africa got television later, 1970s. And as soon after the entrance of television, they hypothesized that South Africa would also experience a doubling in the murder rate, same time period, 15 years from when television came in. 
And they looked at white on white crime only, not, not the apartheid violence that was happening. And guess what happened? Just as they predicted a doubling in the murder rate in South Africa. And they said, we can conclude nothing else other than television caused this. But what were we watching back in the 1950s? We were not watching Terminator. We were watching Leave it to Beaver and Lassie. How did Leave it to Beaver and Lassie cause the murder rate to double, Dr. Centerwall? Well, here's the answer. Imagine that I've got a spectrum here. On one end, we've got self-control, and on the other end, you've got impulsive behavior. Now, everybody, based upon their genetics and their child-rearing and their life choices that they make, finds themselves somewhere on this spectrum. Maybe more self-control, maybe more impulsive behavior. Well, what television does is it sends everybody one notch over. Because you remember the frontal lobe gets weakened, limbic system gets enhanced, everybody moves one notch over. So you imagine if you would have otherwise had a very self-controlled situation driving down the road, a guy cuts you off. You just pray for him, smile, and move on. You've moved one notch over, and you kind of grit your teeth and grip the steering wheel. Now, if you would have done that, television has damaged and retrained your brain to be more impulsive in your behavior, more aggressive, and now you step on the gas and glare at him. If you would have done that, you step on the glass glare at him and honk the horn. If you would have done that, you're, you're, you're screaming at him, you're, you're giving hand gestures, etc. Now the person who is right on the edge of the abyss, ready to, just close to committing murder, they're the ones that are put, pushed over the edge and they actually pull out the gun and shoot the guy. It's just an illustration to show that no, TV doesn't make everybody go out and kill. But what it does is it moves everybody over on the spectrum. And I don't want to be going this direction. I'm not afraid of being a murderer, but I am afraid of having less self-control in my life. I want to have, I want to go in this direction. That's what the Lord wants for each of us as well. Moving on with some more studies. It stunts, television viewing stunts the development of children's brains, damages the brains of both children and adults, and decreases your lifespan. This is an interesting one. Have you heard about how they study cigarette smoking? And they can actually look at the lifespan of a smoker, count how many cigarettes he smoked during his life, and they can average out how many minutes each cigarette took off his life because the average uh, smoker's lifespan is shorter than the average lifespan. So if he wasn't a smoker, you know, they can just do the math. They've found that the average cigarette takes 11 minutes off your life for every time you smoke a cigarette, 11 more minutes off your life. Now, they've done the same thing with television, except it's twice as bad. Look at the slide. An average of 22 minutes is taken off your life for every hour of TV you watch. Now, we make strong statements about non-smoking, but an hour of television is twice as bad for your health in terms of measured on a lifespan issue. Twice as bad. Wow. I want to shift gears for a few minutes. I want to talk about this individual. I, I, I was a history teacher. I love history. And I used to share with my students, Bertrand Russell and some others, and, and these, these people who had this vision for what they called a scientific dictatorship. Bertrand Russell was a British aristocratic elite, and he said, we can manage and control society, and there will be a day coming when the elites, the, 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 the folks in our position, will have so much control over society, more so than the communists ever dreamed of. But we'll use, we'll use tactics that are different than the communists. We'll use the education education system, for example, said Bertrand Russell. In fact, he said education should aim at destroying free will so that by the time the child leaves school, he will be incapable of thinking otherwise than his schoolmasters would have thought. Now, as a teacher, I love this quote. Children should be taught to be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other, other men's thoughts. One of my favorite educational theorists said that. That's a cool statement. Bertrand Russell's view of education was, no, actually, through diet, injections, and injunctions, he said, we can produce the sort of character in the young that it will be impossible for them, to, that they, they, they won't be able to rebel. He said, we could tell them snow is black, and they would believe it. We can have total control. But then he actually says this, not education, but the greatest, the most important 
of all the modern agents of propaganda, said Bertrand Russell, is the cinema, leading to almost worldwide uniformity. The great majority of young people in almost all civilized countries derive their ideas of love, of honor, of the way to make money, and of the importance of good clothes from the evening spent in seeing what Hollywood thinks good for them. Then he says this, I doubt whether all the churches and schools combined have as much influence as the cinema on the opinions of the young. The producers of Hollywood are the high priests of a new religion. That's a strong statement. And that was a long time ago. I wonder how much more influence the cinema has today or how much more influence the music industry has today, which we're not covering during this miniature version today. But music industry has immense power and influence over the minds, shaping the values and thoughts of the masses. But he said, this is, these are the high priests of a new religion. They have more influence than all the churches and schools combined. And remember what he said about education. Wow. Now, another individual, his, this, he was an American, actually an Austrian-American. His name is Edward Bernays. He's the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Now, where Sigmund Freud looked at the individual psyche, Bernays was more interested in the mass mind. In fact, he worked as propaganda minister, as a propaganda artist for the U.S. government during World War I and wrote what became the, the textbook for Nazi propaganda, actually, because he was such a genius on how to manipulate the mass mind. He's, he's known most, most famously probably for getting women to smoke in America. A little quick story. He, he, the, the cigarette companies came to him and said, can you get women to smoke? They don't smoke and we want them to buy our products. So Bernays said, yes, I'll hire the suffragettes, the women who are marching for the right to vote. He had them hide a little cigarette in the cuff of their blouse and the women who were marching for the right to vote, very popular women, he said, when you get to the end of your parade, take out your cigarette, light it, smoke it, and lift it up like this and shout together, torches of freedom! And now associated in the mass mind, women smoking with popular people, the, the American true values of Lady Liberty standing there with the torch and, and the right to vote. And you've now got all these associations building. Women started smoking in America. Bacon and eggs. The reason we have bacon and eggs on every breakfast menu across this fair land is Edward Bernays. He did an advertising campaign that put those together in our minds. Now, listen to what he had to say. He said, if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing about it? That's chilling, isn't it? But listen to what else he says. He says, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. Now, that doesn't sound too democratic to me, but he says we are consciously and intelligently manipulating the habits and opinions of the masses. Going on with the quotation, those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. Powerful statement. They were a lot more honest back then, I guess, about what they were up to. But if that was the kind of influence he had with his advertising elite, he's the founder of modern public relations, he's the founder of advertising in America. Almost a 100 years ago, they had that level of influence. How much more today with the high-tech 21st century tools of mass manipulation at their disposal? 
Well, I want to show you one more individual, second most important person in advertising. His name is Ernest Dichter. He founded the, the, the Institute of Motivational Research, and in his, in his institute, they had courses. And here's a leaked document from one of the courses or classes that they taught. And I'm just going to read just the bottom line of the highlighted part. He talks about how they are teaching students in this course to enter the alpha, the alpha brainwave pattern. So in other words, we are actually studying and learning as advertisers how to change brainwave frequencies. It makes a lot more sense knowing what Mark J. Ryan has exposed with the advertisers and Hollywood. Mark J. Ryan being the professional hypnotist I mentioned who's on the DVDs. But uh, this is a, a, a very telling quotation from a backstage conversation, Walt Mueller's Youth Culture 101. He quotes a, a, a advertising executive as saying to him, we've taken a page from Satan's book. Find a point of weakness and lust in every man, woman, and child and target that weakness and make them want to buy the product. So sometimes we catch them at very honest moments. Yeah, pretty much that's what we're doing. We're, that's what we're doing. We're targeting the weaknesses of people just like Satan and their lusts and we make them want to buy what it is we're selling. Wow. Now, when you look at the music industry, there's, there's comments like this from uh, MTV founder Robert Pittman. The strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. Wow. So music, a music industry, a strong propaganda mechanism, just like Hollywood, just like advertising. But it's not just that. Look at what the scholars are saying. This is an anthropologist of music named A.P. Merriam. He said the importance of music, as judged by the sheer ubiquity of its presence, is enormous. There is probably no other human cultural activity which is so all-pervasive and which reaches into shapes and often, what's that next word? controls so much of human behavior from a scholarly standpoint from a cultural anthropologist standpoint it's music above all else that can control human behavior you have to see disc four to understand the full gravity of that and how satan will use music to deceive the last day masses but a couple more slides on music and then we'll move back to the others one more slide. This is Jimi Hendrix. I appreciate, again, the, the candor of his statements. He, he says music is a spiritual thing of its own. You can hypnotize people with the music. And when you get them at their weakest point, you can preach into the subconscious what you want to say. And I want to say again, if I've mentioned one thing in here, there's a lot more evidence on that same point in the full seminar. But there you have Jimi Hendrix saying, yeah, well, we're hypnotizing people and then preaching into their subconscious through the music. And it's the same thing happening today. You'll see modern examples, the more current examples as well. Back to some Hollywood people. And I should mention, by the way, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness of this dark world. Uh, the demons, Satan, they are the enemy. Human beings are not the enemy. So Jimi Hendrix and, 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 and Paul Schrader, for example, these people are not our opponents, these are children of God who are, we are to reach out to and witness to, but they've been public with their statements and I'm just giving them a wider audience for what they wanted to share publicly so that we can be warned. Paul Schrader said this, he's a screenwriter, filmmaker. We are there to thumb our nose at your values. We don't care if you like us. We don't like you. 
People think that Hollywood has principles, morals, and values. It doesn't. Kevin Smith said a similar thing. I always like to think of it as, I've got him sitting there, whip a little message at him. Whip a little moral at him. Whip a little of what my view of the world is, because that's what every good filmmaker does. So here's a couple examples of Hollywood filmmakers say, we're thumbing our nose at you, we're whipping our morals and values at you, and, and we just don't, li- we don't like you. Hollywood doesn't have principles, morals, and values, they say. But actually, they do have a religion. If you look at the, the studies, University of Texas did a study in 1998, showed only less than 3% of Hollywood actors and filmmakers and so on are attending religious services on a regular basis. So most of them don't go to church, but they are very religious. I want you to look at the testimony of Feruza Balk. She was the uh, star in the, uh, the witchcraft movie, The Craft. She's a top Hollywood insider. She knows the people there. And here's what she had to say about witchcraft. A lot of actors, um, who don't mention their names, of course, are very much into this. This meaning witchcraft. So they are religious people, largely in Hollywood. And I'm not going to name names and take guesses, but there are several on record bragging about it from Hollywood and the music industry. I'm leaving out over an hour of content about the demonic nature of what's happening in the entertainment industry. But take it for, for, from Feruza Balk. A lot of these actors are very much into this, meaning spiritualism, witchcraft, the occult, whatever you want to call it. So that uh, I wish I could tell you all about that and do the whole expose on that. You'll have to see that on the DVDs, but that's, I, I want people to be warned about this. This is not just about digging up dirt and criticizing people, but I want people to know that they are dabbling in spiritualism, that they're stepping into the devil's territory. We're looking at serious spiritual issues there with her quotation. But it's also game designers. Game designers admit it. One game designer anonymously said, we make it just like gambling. You ever wonder how it's so addictive? You ever wonder how gaming, there's 19 million addicts, right? Because we make it just like gambling. Back to the quotation. Sometimes you get something, sometimes you don't. Another game designer anonymously stated the following in an interview with journalists. He says, we use the principle that Madison Avenue uses called the blink rate. Madison Avenue being the advertisers. So we use the blink rate where people stop blinking if an ad has their attention. Same here. If you're into a game, your pupils dilate. Your blink rate slows down. He also went on to say that the job of video game design was all about the dynamics of using adrenaline. And he said the way that you manipulate their adrenaline response is make the player think that he's going to die. So here you have game designers admitting it. We do it like gambling. We're, we're messing with adrenaline. We're, they know how to elicit chemical responses in us to get us hooked and into the game. There's so much more on this that I'm leaving out, but just a couple of bits so you can know. It's not just Hollywood. It's not just the advertisers. It's not just the music industry. It's even the gaming designers know what they're doing. And the Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, the Bible also actually says the opposite. We aren't to be taken captive, but take a look at this, that we should take every thought captive. Now, the more media we're consuming, the more we are subjecting ourselves to the influence of these people, the more we are going to be taken captive, whether we know it or not. We've got, we're have got we down into this altered state of consciousness, and we don't have our circuits firing in the same way God designed us to, to, to be. So we can't take thoughts captive when we're under that that trance. But the reality is God has something better for us. 
Now, I want to talk a little bit about gaming because God's reality has, has been completely set aside in favor of the counterfeit reality, as I call it, in the gaming world. I want to spend a few minutes on gaming because a lot of people don't understand the gamer. They're going, why, can, why is this 27-year-old sitting for hours behind this gaming machine uh, spending 40 hours a week or 20 hours a week on this thing? I don't get it, people say. Well, first of all, it's an addiction, and we shouldn't look down our nose at people with an addiction. Their brains are working differently, operating differently under scans than the rest of ours. Jesus had infinite compassion for the people that came to him for healing. Whether their lifestyles got them into it or not, he wanted to heal them, not condemn them. So just a quick disclaimer on that. But let's understand them a little bit. What is it? What is the draw to gaming? First of all, and all of these, by the way, every bullet point you're about to see, it, it, it's, it's something that we should be getting out of real life. But the gamer is getting out of the counterfeit reality, this other world here. First of all, community and belonging. I don't know if you know this, but most online games, massively multiplayer online games, these are persistent worlds, meaning they're always on. It's not like you hit reset on your Mario on Nintendo and you choose when to play. No, no, no. The game is always going. And if you're not over there, you're missing out. Your friends in the game, your guild, your clan, they're doing things and you're not leveling at the same pace as them. So you're going to be left behind and not be able to hang out with them anymore. And there's this pressure. You've got to be at the raid on Sunday. Oh, if you quit on this or if you, you actually think about cutting down your gaming time or, or, or getting off your addiction, terrible verbal abuse, abuse comes your way in this gaming world. It's really, really a scary thing, actually. But not just community and belonging, but also achievement. Uh, not just relationships with people in the game because you don't have those in the real world, but also this sense of power and accomplishment. And I've done something. There's this illusion of manhood, twice as many male gamers as female gamers. Without all the risks of a career and a relationship and being a father, you can go into this gaming world and feel like you're somebody. In this hyper-competitive world, you're acquiring gold and armor and wealth and rank and, and magic spells and all of these things. And you get this feeling of accomplishment. But they did a study back in 2002 of players of a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And they asked them, how many of you feel better about yourself? Do you feel better about yourself when you're playing the game? Only 20, 25% of them only said that they feel better. So they know it's an illusion. When they come out of the game, there's that emptiness. A third thing, actually, while we're still on achievement... Here's a quotation from Niels Clark. He's a recovering gaming addict and now a scholar of games. He's a national, internationally known expert in gaming. He said, good games provide the illusion that a player's accomplishments were insurmountable feats. The stuff of poetry and legend. When in fact, every one of the players' successes and victories were planned. The game designer put that in there. You didn't actually do anything, but you feel like you did something. Escape. Talk to a gaming addict in a counseling setting like Kevin Roberts, he's a, who counsels video game addicts, and all of them are escaping some issues in their life that they don't want to deal with. Moving on, a fourth thing that is a draw to gaming is this role-playing issue. A lot of gamers, this isn't all of them, not all gamers qualify under all of these points, but some of them don't like who they are in the real world. They feel like a loser, maybe the female feels unattractive, but in the game she can be a, an attractive woman. The, the, the loser can feel like a, a victor, like a, like a hero. In fact, you don't just watch the hero on the screen anymore, you can be the hero. So that's a powerful lure right there for role-playing. and You don't like your identity. You don't like who you are. And you can have your, your entire uh, psyche, your spiritual, emotional fulfillment here in the game. Sad, sad reality. While we're on this issue of escape and role-playing, there was a PlayStation ad that said, I live a double life. 
I set morality aside. And another ad said, live the life you've always dreamed of without any risk or danger to yourself. You could tell how they advertise to you how, what their aim is. They're trying to get you on this role-playing thing, this escape, and you can live this double life. Another draw to gaming is a release and a reinforce of aggression. A lot of the games, obviously the first-person shooter games most prominently, are very aggressive. And what they found in a study was hostility was increased both in subjects playing a highly aggressive video game and those playing a mildly aggressive video game. Very interesting. It just reinforces the aggression. It doesn't actually solve your problems that you have with frustration and anger in your life. Another draw to gaming is competition or the be I'm better than you dynamic that started in heaven with Lucifer when he said, I, 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 I will ascend to the throne of God. I will take the place of God. This, this promotion of self, survival of the fittest, dog eat dog, this whole dynamic within the competitive spirit is really played out in the video game world. Another draw to gaming is the discovery. A lot of gamers are discovery-oriented gamers. They are the ones who will explore every inch of territory in the game. They'll find the tricks. They'll find the cheats. They'll find the hidden worlds. And it's just, these people are brilliant people, by the way. Your average gamer is a genius, and their, their talents and their wisdom and their, their, their intelligence is being wasted away in this other world. But the discovery-oriented gamer spends hours in the game just exploring. Another draw to gaming is pleasure. One uh, quotation from, from Niels Clark, we read, The in-game play, the in-game shopping, the in-game sex. I didn't know, you may not have known that all three of those things were in the games. But he says, if it can be put together in a way that's somehow more pleasing, we might assume that designers will try to meet that mark. And of course they will. They're trying to create a world that's more pleasurable than the real world. So you go there, and the, the relationships, and the shopping, and the, the acquiring of wealth, and the achievement, and this, even the sexual stuff, it's just this world is more more fun it's more pleasurable what a lure what a draw the last thing is story i don't know if you know this but a lot of the experts are saying that the video game designers are actually outperforming novel writers as the top developers of story and character development development today and so there's this this need within the human heart this sense that we are a part of something bigger that the, we are a part of a story and and instead of dis discovering god's will for you as a part of his great drama that is passing before us in reality we go and we find the fantasy novel or the movie or in this case the counterfeit reality of the video game now by the way when i talk about this issue of story i'm working on a series right now that i'm going to be sharing with some young people in a, in a part-time bible position that i'm that i'm have at, at great lakes academy in michigan and we're going through what we call the one true story God's reality from the very beginning of angels in heaven and the fall of Lucifer all the way through the, 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 the great drama of the redemptive history on planet earth to the end of sin and suffering. What is the story we find ourselves in? How do we understand this and how exciting is this reality? Well, it's not just a game anymore to the video gamer. We read from... Niels Clark again, the human body can release a variety of chemicals responding to games as though they were a completely real physical experience. So in other words, your body doesn't know the game is not real. Reading on, visually, images seem to have the ability to immerse and enchant us with or without our permission. These are media that give experiences to our real eyes, ears, hearts, and brains. Experiences that professionals painstakingly design to be fun, breathtaking, and exhilarating. Wow, it's not just a game anymore. It's a secondary world. 
Look at this quote from Kevin Roberts, the counselor of gaming addicts. A strongly addicted player relates to this online world as the real world, and his or her other life is simply a necessary evil. They've created an alternate world to live within. And is game even a meaningful word anymore then? If you think about it, you know, we had ping pong. That's a game, right? Well, pong was a video game. Blip, blip, blip. But here we have not just a game. We have, look at the quotation here from P. Siobhan Scott in, in the book Game Addiction. Game developers create the worlds in which people live. And in that way, they have close to God-like powers. So we're looking at something beyond just a game. We're looking at a counterfeit creator. The game designer is creating a world, a different reality from God's reality. And by the way, if we're trying to escape God's reality, if we're trying to escape into a counterfeit reality, we're trying to escape God. So the, the, the fantasy world is an escape from God. It's a, that's a scary thought. And, and, and we're swallowing our psychological identity, our emotional identity in this reality. Well, they did a study actually at Nottingham Trent University in 2011 along with Stockholm University where they discovered game transfer phenomenon. This is where they're losing touch with reality. This is really serious. Players in a virtual world begin blurring the lines between the game and reality once they come out of the game. In other words, they're doing things in the real world as if they're still in the game. Now you think about our mass shooters and how often they were video gamers. Am I saying all video gamers are going to go shoot people? No, of course not. But there is a danger when we're starting to blur the lines between reality and a game where you're running around shooting for for fun. Scary thought. Reality then becomes dull. These places, says Niels Clark, are in direct competition with the rest of reality. Most of the entertainment we've had in human history gives us natural breaking points. The chapter ends, the film ends, or there's a commercial break. Most games are set up to be played for long periods of time. It's built into the fabric of the gamer culture. It's encouraged by game marketing. And there aren't enough good stopping points in most games for people to stop, look at the clock, and realize that it's time to sleep. He says this will then dull the taste for reality. And the mediocrity of reality seems like torture by comparison. So what do you do? You go back to the game. Because this is where life is more fulfilling. This is the world that you enjoy. The mediocrity of reality is so boring. You actually have to work hard and, and, and invest and have risk. And, 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 and real life is just harder. You don't always get immediate rewards for things. You don't get those dings. And it's just not as fun. Well, it's not just game designers who have close to godlike powers. Players delight in controlling growth, development, and even evolution in video games. And any fan of a god game, as they're called, enjoys the opportunity to exert complete dominance over the people and places in the game. And then it's not just god games, but listen to the, the, the sound of, of the experience of the gamer from Niels Clark. Our minds are set free to experience explore and exercise heightened abilities and senses in a space that still looks and feels real. Games take our senses beyond the confines of reality. At the same time, these sensations also allow the inflation and extension of our consciousness, unique ways of being. Can you hear the whisper of the serpent there? You can have godlike powers in the game, things you can't do as a human. You can do in the, the inflation and extension of your consciousness a more perfect version of yourself. Wow, scary thought. 
but it is an addiction. It's a recognized addiction with treatment centers around the world. And in the full seminar, we explain how addictions work in the brain. You have to understand because you may have an addiction to something else. Maybe it's not media. Maybe it's not gaming. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's all of these things are not Chemical addictions, cocaine and alcohol and nicotine, these are process addictions and they can be just as powerful as chemical addictions can be. Even more powerful actually. And we cover that. But I want you to understand the the, the pleasure centers of the brain. They did a a study in 1954, the Milner study, where they hooked up to a rat's brain some some stimulators to stimulate his nucleus accumbens, which are the pleasure receptors. And and they they would make it so that the the rat just had to tap a lever and it would stimulate electrically and he would feel good like he just accomplished something. Well, you know what happened in the study? It didn't require any discipline. He just had to push the lever. It was a quick fix. No effort required. And so what did he do? He just stopped eating. The mice stopped eating and were on the brink of death. Now, if you think about our own lives, has media become the lever, the game, the pornography clip, the movie, the, 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 the iTunes track, the, the texting? The, the, actually, Facebook has been shown to elicit a pleasure response, the same area of the brain as food and sex when you post something private about yourself on Facebook or just information on Facebook. Has media become that lever for us where we go to that for the pleasure sensation and the bread of life, we've stopped eating it and we're on the brink of death, spiritual death. That's my fear. But God's reality over here is immensely pleasurable. I agree with Ravi Zacharias who said that the closer we get to a pure and holy pleasure, the closer we are to the heart of God, a pure and holy pleasure. The further we get from a pure and holy pleasure, the further we are from the heart of God. So if we're going off into immoral pleasures, of course we are far from the heart of God. But also, if we're into a cold and grumpy religion, that's far from the heart of God too because it's not the kind of abundant living with joy and a sunny religion that Jesus has for us. God is a God of pleasure. And if you think about how he designed pleasure to operate, think about it. Pleasure follows when you do something altruistic and help a needy child. When you you study the Bible and share truth with somebody and that light bulb goes off, pleasure follows. When you view God's nature and appreciate the beauty of what he's created, it's not an immense crazy high like a, like a pornography clip or like a, like the, like a, a sugary milkshake, but the, the, the peaceful, serene thought of, wow, the Lord has made something beautiful here. Pleasure follows. Pleasure follows when you enjoy a beautiful picnic on a sunny afternoon in, in, in a family setting. When you study something from the Bible for yourself and get it and God shows you some truth, pleasure follows. When you invest in a relationship at the marital level, pleasure follows. When you attend a joyful wedding celebration, accomplish a difficult task or enjoy nutritious food as God designed, pleasure follows. Life as God designed it is extremely pleasurable and I've lived on both sides of this. I've been the media addict. I've been eating what I want, watching what I want, finding pleasure in the things of this world. But I'll tell you, life is more fun over here. There's more joy, there's more abiding peace, there's more meaning. And being over on this side, I would never, ever go back. Not a chance. In fact... What they've shown in the studies, Kaiser Family Foundation found that this, this, this lever that we're tapping, the more media we use, actually, the less happy we are. Now, that, that we go to the media, the entertainment, the exciting things to stimulate so we can go, woo, yeah, I feel good. But actually, it makes us less happy. And look at the next slide, more bored. The more media we consume, the more bored we are. Isn't that fascinating? 
So if you, if you unplug from media and you're not doing all the exciting things, you're less bored, not more. Very interesting. This reminds me of my Mountain Dew addiction that I had. I would get up in the morning, chug a can of Mountain Dew for breakfast, drink the, the big gulps throughout the day, drink three liters at a time throughout an afternoon and evening at times. And I'll tell you, after that morning Mountain Dew, about 60 minutes later, there was this crash, right? And so it didn't fulfill. It didn't sustain. I needed the real substance, the real food. But going deeper into this, it really is even more scary When we think about the appetite, the taste buds, after drinking Mountain Dew, I wasn't really interested in broccoli. It just didn't taste good after Mountain Dew because the Mountain Dew had me, woo, yeah, that's 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 like a party for the taste buds. Broccoli, which actually does taste good. I enjoy broccoli now since I've given up Mountain Dew, but broccoli was distasteful to me. And so the Bible speaks to this. The Bible says that God's word is sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey. So the word of God is, objectively speaking, it's very sweet. But for most of us, it's boring. I don't have any time to read that. It's uninteresting. I'm bored. I fall asleep. Why? <laughs> Look at the rest of the verse, or a different verse, rather, in the Proverbs. A sated man loathes honey. What does that mean? A sated man is a full man. So if I'm full with the worldly excitement and the entertainment, honey is so distasteful to me that I loathe it. The Bible is so distasteful to me that I loathe it. Wow. You know the story of Gideon, right? He had his soldiers come out. God had to whittle the army down to the, to the people that were going to be most suited for this uh, this job. And he had them go to a pond, right? Uh, or the, uh, a, a creek. And they were to drink from the water. And, and this is how God determined who was going to fight in the battle. Those who got down on their knees like this and drank the water like that, they were not suited for the battle. You ever wonder why? The people that were suited for the battle did not get on their knees. They were like this. Huh, what's the difference? These guys had their eyes up on the greater mission and purpose. Now, is water bad? No, but how we relate with it may distract us. So maybe it's not an immoral movie or a worldly music band or any of these things, but maybe it's something that's okay for you. Uh, maybe it's something that's, that's morally innocuous or maybe kind of closer to the edge, but it's okay. But the way we interact with it, if, if, if we're getting, getting our eyes off of the greater purpose, look at the quotation from 1 Corinthians. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. So if I'm doing anything in recreation, amusement, entertainment, if I'm doing anything that is taking my eyes off of the work that the Lord has for me, then I am missing out on something. It's a diversion from God's plan for me. A true form of recreation upbuilds me. I, I have a sense of God's presence and it empowers me to go back to my work for the Lord with new vigor. But amusement and and entertainment has a tendency to distract me from the Lord. Now, for me in my life, I have a confession to make. And this is pretty raw. This is still pretty fresh for me. It's only a couple years since I gave up my vice. And that was college basketball. I would spend four hours a week watching my Michigan State basketball religiously. It didn't matter what else was going on. I cleared the calendar for that. And I had the thought, you know, during these hours... Am I thinking of the, the, the mission and purpose that I have as a child of God? Am I thinking about the Lord at all? Rarely, if, you, if I'm honest. 
And so the Lord asked me to, to, to give this up, and it was easier once I did some studying on it, because we cover a lot more in the full seminar on this, but just one little anecdotal point. They found in one study, I don't know if you knew this, but watching sports on TV is bad, very bad for your health. Um, there was a 25% increase in heart attacks in London on the, a big game day and the couple days after game day. Because people are on the edge of their seat. They're all excited about the, the, the sporting event, and there's this enormous stress cascade, 200 to 300% increase in blood flow to the muscles, and you're ready to go start fighting a lion that's how god created the body to operate but all you're doing is sitting in the chair so this response is supposed to happen when you're fighting a lion not while you're watching them lose again you'll get that later if you did not get that i'm from michigan that'll be a hint for you so 25 percent. this is a serious topic 25 percent increase in heart attacks on game day and a couple days after game day. Now, I did some digging on red meat. I, I know there are strong warnings about red meat and, and, and heart disease. And, and they've actually found that one serving of red meat per day will increase mortality of heart attacks by 19%. 25% increase in heart attacks on game day. This is a strong, strong warning to us. And I want to share a, a video clip of, of, a, of an individual who made a strong decision in, in his life in this area. He was an inspiration to me. We thought, boy, would it be fun, you know, and exciting to be on a NASCAR, you know, pit crew racing, going all over the country and stuff. And as I looked at the time that those guys spent, it's a 16-hour-a-day job, five days a week, load the car up, get to the racetrack, the race is on Sunday, load the thing up, get back to the shop. I realized that I couldn't give that commitment to it and have a family. You know, as a result of that, I became a, an avid fan, always kind of maybe vicariously living through the, you know, the television, something that I wish that I could have done, but just didn't want to make the, the sacrifice for it. In the few hours that I had on the weekends to spend with my children, I was making it a priority to watch sporting events, whether it was a NASCAR race in the summer or football in the fall. I believe that I was a slave to television. I, I let it dictate what Nick Wasdrup was going to do and when he was going to do it by, by what I wanted to watch. I'm a mechanic by trade. I, I work a lot of hours. If I'm not here to impact my children as much during the week and then I'm spending six hours on a Sunday watching you know football games or three and a half hours watching NASCAR races that's really showing my children with the limited amount of time that I have available to them this is more important to me and every race is the most important race until the race is over and then it's next weekend's race and you realize you're just being sucked into a into a cycle and then you're buying into it you have to keep watching to see what's important who's dictating what's important it's not me i want my children to realize that you know god is the center of my life not the television that was the real um, gut check for me, the real heart check for me. The other thing is it influences your mood. With sports, if your team doesn't win, you know, the rest of the day is ruined for your family because you're grumpy. Or if your favorite NASCAR driver didn't, you know, didn't bring home the trophy, um, your family's suffering because you're upset. As I was watching these things and I started to pay attention to what was happening in the commercials, um, all of a sudden you start to realize this thing is controlling and training not only me but more so my children that was the part that really really became upsetting to me I had to get away from that I didn't want my kids to see that those were the values that I was holding above all else I realized that just unscrewing it from the wall wasn't going to be enough I, I had to take a pair of wire cutters and cut that cable into pieces I physically disconnected it and I cut it 
now the bridge has been destroyed to the past, we have to go forward. No, I don't regret it at all. I don't miss television at all. As my you know, friends will say, did you see so-and-so in a movie? I don't even know who the so-and-so is, let alone what the movie was. I have no idea who's the, the, um, you know, the popular actresses or actors or you know, what, the, what the box office smash was. But I can tell you, you know, when Samantha rode her bicycle for the first time without training wheels, I can tell you those things. I can't remember any of those games, but I can, I can remember a lot of those, those things that, that I would have missed out on if I hadn't have taken those cutters and cut that cable. Excellent documentary, Captivated. I happen to know the filmmaker, Philip Telfer. Awesome guy. Excellent film. We actually carry that at our online store at beltoftruthministries.com. But did you, did you hear the, 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 the reality coming into his life? He knows, oh, I remember my daughter riding the bike without training wheels. Oh, man, that hits me every time. Powerful. Your family, reality, human beings, not the silly... The, counterfeit realities we formed the male soap operas sorry to say it but that's what it was for me it's you know you follow it's worthy of all of my attention not just during the game but after it's our obsession as guys it's what we talk about but what is the point anyway is there is this do these have eternal consequences let's talk about the work of god in the last days let's talk about our growth in grace and in our understanding of the truth of the word of god well The Bible actually addresses this issue of how we spend our time. Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now, if the days were evil back then, I believe they're even more evil today. So it's even more important for us today to make the most of our time, because the days are evil. Be careful how we walk. I spent hours on the spectator sports, and it was a waste of my time. And I confess before the Lord that the the probationary time we have left on planet Earth just being sent down the drain. And I wish I could get that time back. But I'll tell you, it may not be sports for you. Maybe it's something else. What is it for you that that obscures your sense of God's presence, that wastes your time? When you're doing it, you are down on your knees like this. You're not thinking about the things of God, the work of God, your, your identity and purpose in his kingdom. You're just wrapped up in this thing, and God's the furthest thing from your thoughts. What is it? And maybe it's Facebook. I mentioned we've got a whole segment on, on Facebook and many studies that have been done in that area. Is that a healthy thing for you? Is that a, an unhealthy dynamic in your life? For some, it can be a very amazing blessing. Uh, it's not one of those things like a satanic song that it's black or white. It depends how you interact with it. Examine that. We asked some questions about it in the full seminar, but I want to bring up the issue of texting, just a tiny bit of it, because there's this issue called hypertexting, where young ladies are texting over 4,000 texts a month on average teenage girls sherry turkle a psychologist who is the director of the initiative on technology and self at the massachusetts institute of technology and who has studied texting among teenagers in the boston area for three years here's what she said she says this hypertexting might be causing a shift in the way adolescents develop if you're being deluged by constant communication she says the pressure to answer immediately is quite high so if you're in the middle of a thought forget it now you wonder why our generation, the young people today, have such a hard time with a devotional life with the Lord. Because well, if I'm in the middle of a thought, this is always on. I, I'm always available. It's always coming in. Is this something getting in the way? 
Is this something that we need to consider our relationship with? But I can multitask, people say. Attention, multitaskers. If you can pay attention, that is. This is from Stanford University. Your brain may be in trouble. People who are regularly bombarded with several streams of electronic information do not pay attention, control their memory, or switch from one job to another, as well as those who prefer to complete one task at a time, a group of Stanford researchers has found. So did you hear it? So those of us who say, oh, I can multitask. I've got the cell phone here, the iPod on, I'm on the chat thing on Facebook and doing the homework, I'm reading the Bible, it's all happening. You're actually not good at multitask. Those who think they can multitask are worse at controlling memory. They're worse at switching from one task to another. They're worse at all of these things that multitaskers think they're good at. Interesting. Hewlett Packer commissioned a study where they actually had people take an IQ test and they distracted them. They gave them emails. They gave them texts. They told them not to answer. And what they found was a 10-point reduction in IQ while people were being interrupted in this way. That's more than twice the drop in IQ that occurs when high on marijuana or having lost an entire night's sleep. Also, these people were instructed not to answer their emails, but they had to. They couldn't help it. It was a compulsion. And the researchers said it mirrored the behavior of an addict. Wow. So what is it for you? Maybe it's not sports, Facebook. I don't know what it is, but it's distraction, texting. This stuff comes into our lives and it just fills. We got screens in front of our eyes constantly and worldly entertainment in our mouth and we can't taste and see that the Lord is good because everything is distracting us from him. Is media bad? Of course not. We're using media right now with these DVDs, with this, with this video. But what relationship do we have with it? Think about what this family did and consider this in your own life. Three years ago, I picked up a copy of Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. He was a college professor, and so one of the exercises he'd have his students do was to go on a, I believe in the book it was a one-month media fast, so I just decided to do the exact same thing. One month, let's um, just shut down all media. No television, no internet, no blogging, and um, anything that was digitally um, related. Our children were were not initially enthusiastic about the media fest. They were terrified. Our first impressions were rather shocked and a little bit scared. Um, but as we got along closer to the day and we um, we were praying about it, we were thinking about it a lot, um, we, were, we were excited. I don't think one of our children would say, no, we wish we never had to do it because um, there is a benefit. It just gives you perspective on how much time you're spending doing stuff. I couldn't stop thinking about music, just wanting to turn on the radio or, or just look up something just for fun or just watch a quick movie. Um, it was pretty shocking how addicted I was, and I didn't like that at all. And it kind of helps if any sort of addictions are building up, it kind of helps break those. It is a fast, and it takes time, and it's not just one one day and then you're through with your pain. No, it keeps going. But then once we get near the end, it um, it's easier, you enjoy it, you really can see the difference. It's not just about taking away. If all you do is take away from your kids something and leave them nothing, that's, they're in no better spot. They loved the extra time of, of playing basketball with Dad or playing cards with me or just working on extra things. During the media fast, you know, we still play games, so it's not a, it's not a game fast, but um, what, how the game is delivered is really important. But when we have a board game, it's much more um, conversational. It's much more um, you know, slowed down and you can take breaks and it's not you know, a little bit less pressure to it. And then we do family devotions, but some of the most significant theological discussions have happened as we just discuss something over a board game, having normal conversations. 
our lives are so busy and noisy, and it is also it's like it brings a quietness, and then quietness is when you you know hear God's voice. It is so sweet. The silence, and not just the silence, but the peace. Because if you're if you're doing everything and you have this noise going through your head, you really cannot have peace, and you don't know that you're missing it until you have it. The first year we did it, I remember、um, going and just. My chores were done. My schoolwork was done, and so what do I do? I I go outside and read the Bible for hours, and before then it just wasn't, it didn't occur to me, or I didn't have time. Sure, I read the Bible, but just to spend hours and enjoy it, and have an amazing time doing it, it was, it was really an eye opener. I'll watch a certain movie before, and then after the movie fast, I get stronger convictions and standards, higher standards, and then I'll go back and watch it and think, what did I see? In this, what what was so appealing? Most important thing for me, for my kids to have, is that they would love God with all their heart and know Him and live their life in relationship with Him. This has been so good in our lives, and it hasn't been boring at all. We're not just saying no media, but we're saying use it in responsible and God glorifying ways. As you can see, another excellent clip from the awesome documentary, Captivated. You'll hear stories from families, from young people, from older people,、uh, the experts, the scientists, pastors, Christian leaders. Awesome film. Again, beltoftruthministries.com is where you can pick that up. And I should mention, we're going to close with an illustration and a Bible text. But the Media on the Brain DVD set is something that we bring out for the people on a donation basis. So go to the website and get the six parts so that you can share all of this, all of this information that we can't cover in a in a 75 minute presentation like this. I want the masses to be able to see this. So we do. That on a donation basis. Also, if, if 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 you look at our calendar on our website, you'll see where we have speaking appointments. Go there if you want to invite the seminar to come to your church, to your school. We can tailor it to public school audiences. Whatever whatever your needs are, we'll bring the the, the information that's most relevant and appropriate. And we want to be able to share this more widely. So, those invitations aside, I want to close again with an illustration. My wife and I spent a number of years living in Southern California. Now we're from Michigan. We've never seen mountains before in Michigan. But we were told the mountains out in Southern California are just beautiful. They're so amazing, and you'll see from Riverside the the San Gabriel and San Bernardino mountains, and you'll, you'll just behold these beautiful snow-capped mountains, and they'll 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 feel like they're so close. You're gonna love it. Well, we were driving into the Inland Empire in our U-Haul truck, moving to Southern California at age 23, all excited about the mountains and the new Southern California weather and all of that. Little did we know how hot it was in the summer there and the traffic, but nonetheless, we were excited about the the mountains. And we're looking up, and we're, we're going, where aren't they supposed to be just north of here? Aren't there supposed to be mountains? Oh, I see the outline, the faint outline of the mountains there. Oh, cool! There's the mountains. Like trying to enthuse ourselves about the fact that we see them when really it's kind of a letdown. Maybe this is what our spiritual life is like. We've been told God is so close, God is so near to us, and He's so beautiful. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's so amazing. Walking with Jesus, your life will never be the same. But then our spiritual experience is kind of. Eh, it's kind of a letdown, right? We're bored by the Bible. We're just not. It's just not as real as we have heard from preachers and from people. Well, you know what would happen when we were down there in Southern California was something called the Santa Ana 
winds. The Santa Ana winds would come in, or we'd get a rain that would come down, and, and either the rain or the wind would knock that smog out of the air, knock that, that haze and the, just that nastiness. And, and while it was raining down in the valley, it was snowing up there, and the next day you'd get a beautiful sunny day, and you'd see the snow-capped mountains, and you'd go, wow, they were so much closer than I ever thought. They're so much more beautiful than I ever thought. I feel like I could hit it with a bow and arrow. They're so close. That's our spiritual life. Because you know in the Bible, what the rain represents, the latter rain is the fall of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it says in John 3 that the Holy Spirit blows where he pleases like wind. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when we invite the Lord and we allow the Lord to really clean house, to really cleanse the air of the smog and the nastiness, to get the things out of our lives that are in between us and him, we will find that God will be proved true, that his claims that he is not far from each one of us in the book of Acts, that when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him, that we will have the abundant life, that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free if we follow his teachings, if we get these things out of our lives, whatever it is in between you and God you will find him to be so close. That's what I found in my personal life when I got rid of this stuff. You can hear the voice of God. You find joy in simple things. Life is just more abundant. And I can't say that I'd ever go back. Now we've said a lot of things about media, a lot of information, a lot of science, a lot of what the, what the, the media elites are doing to manipulate the masses. We've seen a lot of information about the negativity about media. But I want to set that all aside now and challenge you. Challenge you to turn your eyes upon Jesus like it says in Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I don't see it as a virtue to try and dig into every negative thing that you can possibly find in history and in in media. I bring out some of these things so we can see and we can be an alcoholic who comes face to face with what his his, uh, liver looks like or or a smoker, what his lung looks like. And it's kind of this eye-opening, oh man, I'm repulsed by the world now and I'm even more attracted to turn my eyes upon Jesus now. And maybe for you, it means to do something, take a strong stand like that gentleman did and literally cut that cable. How many dollars, add it up sometime, how many dollars are spent during a lifetime, during an adult lifetime on cable? Or maybe it's just a fast where you get you some separation from these things so that you can think clearly about them, more objectively about them. You can't think about them when you're immersed in them. Getting, getting some distance on it and hear the voice of God and pray through this and ask, Lord, what should my relationship be in the area of, 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 media and all of these forms my challenge to you this evening and i know that the lord will come through for you if you seek him with all your heart because he's promised it in his word and you can take that to the bank his word is sure let's pray for the lord to bless these decisions that we're making father as we seek you more and more in our lives we just pray that you'd wake us up open our eyes to the areas where we need to invite your holy spirit to cleanse things from us we're, we're addicted to this stuff. We're tied to this stuff to a great degree. But we want to know which things are, are healthy and appropriate, which things are, are, are demonic and manipulative. We want to know which things we can, we can keep and which things will be actually a hindrance to our relationship with you. And Lord, give us the courage to not just hear your voice honestly, but to also take the stand and, and get rid of the things that we need to get rid of. 
Lord, help us as we as we look further into this information, uh, many of which on the on the DVDs or or Lord whatever information you would bring to people. Help us to get to the bottom of this so that we can make wise decisions in these last days. In Jesus' name, Amen.